This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and a welcome. Well, I am really excited today to launch our brand new panel on municipal issues with David Crombie, former Tiny Perfect Mayor, who we are frantically trying to reach. He's having some kind of phone trouble, as well as Karen Stintz, former city councillor and mayoral candidate and current CEO of Variety Village, and Lauren O'Neill, senior news editor at BlogTO. And now, it's time to tune into the town. Well, welcome, and how is that for nostalgia? Hi, everyone. Everyone who's here. Hello. I love it. <laughs> Hi, Libby. Hi. Doesn't that bring back memories? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, well, and speaking of nostalgia, today we are relaunching the old Speaker's Corner as the Vox Pop. It's a video machine right here in the parking lot in Liberty Village at the Zoomerplex. And just uh, reminding people that Moses, our founder, gave people a say long before social media where people would go into the booth that was attached to uh, our headquarters at Queen and John. They would say something on air, some of it would make air in the news. Some would make it to the company funny reel. And some of it, quite frankly, was (laughs) (laughs) X-rated. The cutting room floor. (laughs) (laughs) Well, not exactly. So, um, uh, you know, um, it was, uh, it was a time. And Lauren, now you're so much on social media, but uh, this was the precursor. You you know, it's all started for me way back in the day when I was a kid trying to get on Speaker's Corner. Like when I was a kid, we would literally go to Queen and John and try to get on the on Speaker's Corner. It was it's iconic, and I'm so glad that it's coming back as the Vox Box. Uh huh. And now it's so different. Everybody can just do it from wherever they happen to be sitting. True, but there's a difference between tweeting your own thing in video and actually being selected to be on TV. There's still something a little bit prestigious about that, I think, about being chosen. So I hope people come on down and use it. Karen, do you have any memories of Speaker's Corner? I never went down to Speaker's Corner, but I do remember watching some of the snippets. And uh, and just it, 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 it was just a great um, thing to see people, you know, just sharing their thoughts and then opening up my ideas and understanding about issues that I previously hadn't thought of. So I think it's great that it's back. Okay, well, we think it's great that it's back, too. Now, here's something that is not, strictly speaking, a municipal issue. We had a big takeout on it on the show yesterday, but it's a soccer game that was supposed to take place in Vancouver, a so-called friendly match. Canada Soccer invited the Iranian team for a game in Vancouver, and a lot of people were very upset by this. Uh, first of all, they paid 
they were going to pay $400,000 for the privilege, which was about twice what the expenses would be. And this was a slap in the face for people who lost loved ones on the downed flight uh, down by the Iranian Revolutionary Guard two years ago. And there are connections between the Revolutionary Guard and soccer and other teams. So, uh, Karen, you know, should cities have more say? I mean, as I said, both the prime minister and the mayor of Vancouver said they didn't want this. Yeah, this is a sticky issue. And, uh, you know, you can certainly appreciate how the families would feel about having the Iranian soccer team being hosted in Vancouver. But but the other reality is that um, we've there has been a concerted effort to keep uh, political issues out of the sports arena. And, you know, particularly around the Olympics, it was very dicey, you know, with the situation in China. And yet, but there was, even though there was a diplomatic uh, boycott, but, but the reality is the players should have a chance to play. And that's been a longstanding commitment, that the players should have a chance to play, athletes should have a chance to compete. And to weigh in on this issue, you know, I under, as I say, I'm not trying to dismiss the feelings of the families because they're real and the pain is real. But for the athletes, who want to come and play, it is a little uncertain how that team will now be treated by other countries. And we are now, you know, part of an international league and we're playing at an international level. And we're going to have to have a better response to these kinds of issues than a mayor standing up in Vancouver and saying, we don't want this. And then the prime minister jumping on board and then suddenly a team can't come. Well, uh, it's interesting because, uh, first of all, there are links between this team and the Revolutionary Guard, and there was an investigation launched because some of them are considered a security risk, but also uh, they were boasting that this is the first time they were going to make a profit from something like this, and they apparently shopped it around, and we were the only takers. Yeah. Yeah, and so the, it's not clean. Sports is not clean. The Olympics is not clean. We know all that. That's a good point. Um, and so I'm not there to defend the Iranian team, but it's just... it. There, are, there has to be a better way. And if, if there was really terrorist links, then they shouldn't be let in the country for that basis. Um, but if, if we're going to say that sports is apolitical, then it should be apolitical to the best that we can make it. Um, if, if we're going to take a stand in these regards, then, then, then there has to be a discussion about how we do that. Um, because then it becomes extremely controversial and it takes us away from the idea that athletes should have a chance to play. Moving right along, uh, uh, something that was uh, very unpleasant. We saw violence uh, during the fireworks at Ashbridge's Bay and, and really irresponsible. I mean, people shooting fireworks at each other. You know, I was trying to count the times that Mayor John Tory used the word hooligans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it just seems like what is going on in Toronto and and also serious crime, uh, organized crime, you know, we we were attuned to carjackings when it happened to Mitch Marner, who's a sports star. And, and now there are another four carjackings overnight, Lauren. The carjacking situation is is wild to me. I mean, auto thefts in general are up 55% since last year, which is the biggest of any major crime indicator. Um, we've had 93 so far this year, which is more than all of 2021 in just five months. So, I mean, Tory has promised to create a task force. They're updating patrols in certain areas. But, I, I mean, I really don't know the reason for it. But with the fireworks in particular, I can say that 
That is not so much organized crime rings. No, These, no, no. The carjackings. The carjackings. Are, yeah, but are, the, the the fireworks are like teenagers. These are um, 19 people were arrested on Sunday night at, at Woodbine Beach in Ashbridge's Bay. Um, there were two shootings, a stabbing, two people robbed at gunpoint, and then tons of, of people just shooting Roman candles at each other. There were seven police officers injured. One of them was shot in the face with a firework. And um, of the 19 arrests, 10 were minors. And there are videos all over social media showing like these kids on TikTok are bragging about how they're at war with each other and fighting with these Roman candles. And there's new video now will be published something later today um, in which these young people can be seen on a TTC bus setting off Roman candle fireworks. So I'm not really sure what's behind it, but it's been an increasing problem over the last couple of years. We've seen more and more violence during the fireworks at Woodbine Beach. Um, but this year was was next level, ne- never anything at this scale before. Okay, we already talked about social media, Karen. Is this social media is the problem that these kids can get on social media and get some attention for being idiots, frankly? <laughs> no, I think this is this is a step above social media because I mean kids have been idiots since the beginning of time. It's kind of what kids <laughs> do, right? <laughs> but but you know, you you hope that it's contained within some framework of of risk assessment. And what what we're seeing, I think, is just um, a desensitization of these kids to the impact of their actions. And and I would I would say, you know, without I'm not the expert on it by any stretch of the imagination, so I wouldn't want to lay claim to that. But I, I certainly think that the video game culture has contributed to that sense of infallibility and to that sense of destruction. And uh, that idea, particularly the first-person shooter games and, mm. you know, coming together to fight an enemy. And it, it seems harmless because it's a video game. But then if you if you don't really understand the limitations of that and you take it into other aspects of your life and you're a kid and you don't have good decision-making skills, then you find yourself doing these things on Woodbine Beach that are really, it, it, it kind of, it's a head-scratcher what these kids were thinking and why they thought it was okay to run around shooting Roman candles at each other um, and, and, and at police officers and endangering the public safety and then putting it on TikTok. So it's all, it's all very um, concerning is I think the understatement of the day, but there's certainly something that's happening that we need to pay attention to that is going beyond social media from my perspective. Okay. We have uh, reached David Crombie. Hi, David. Hi, and I'm so sorry. I was, caught up in technology okay well there you go uh and we're talking about a a a different kind of technology uh tiktok and how it relates to we've seen this increase of violence uh in ashbridge's bay uh during the fireworks and part some of these are kids they're minors 10 out of 19 arrests were minors and then they put it up on social media on the on the other side um organized crime. We've seen like four carjackings overnight. Is, is there an increase in incivility? I mean, how, what is happening here? Well, I'm not, I'm clearly no expert on it, but I, a couple of points I uh, could offer. Um, uh, uh, first of all, um, throughout the history of the city, you'll find that there are episodes with a new generation uh, 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 decides that it, it, it needs to uh, press its presence uh, on the public, and 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 so it's, it's not terribly new. Uh, it's it's new because of, of the kind of technology, but but for, for sure, uh, one should uh, the, what we've traditionally done, of course, is make sure uh, that as soon as it happens, you act quickly. 
um, I, I note that there was, uh, at least in the papers, there was noted that, that they were caught unawares, the police. I don't know that that's true, but if that's true, then that's unfortunate because one would have thought that there would be, there would be uh, at least in, uh, the appropriate force. It, I, I think it raises, obviously, a lot of questions about p- policing. Um, but one of those, of course, is the presence of, of uh, cops on the beat. And it seems to me that one of the things that we've tried to get back to, and we've done, done not a bad job, but we need more police presence by simply having the, the cop on the beat. That helps very much for our presence. Um, I think also uh, there needs to be more, uh, more effort given in schools, which is a traditional way in which people are raised with an understanding of the of the relationship of the of themselves to the police. So there's there are there's a bag full of things that can be done. Every once in a while, there are episodes like this that that, that remind you that it's a constant a constant application of police uh, police enforcement and and citizen awareness. And so you have to go back to that. Well, uh, with the police in schools, we had that, and that was taken out because people from minorities complained that it was intimidating them. Yeah, I know, I, I, but that but we should have we should have withstood that pressure. Uh, the fact is, uh, people learn very early on uh, what the presence of police is, and and and, and uh, uh, most people live in a world where there. Certainly, years ago, you were taught that if you were in trouble, you went to the you went to the police guy, and he would help you out. And so, the sense that the police were a part of you and a part of the public presence—that was really important. So, the idea that somehow the police are the enemy is a minority view, and it is one that that has justification in some cases. But it sure as heck should not be the general view. And to the extent that it is, then we get we get people acting out and not worrying whether or not they're offending the police. They should worry about offending the police because the police are are on our side. And ought to be, to the extent that they're not, and I understand when that happens, then they, they, we need to make sure it's brought into the line. But the, we can't live in a world that says you treat the police as the other. If we do, then we get we, we get the kind of thing that happens. Okay, let's take a couple of calls. We've got Tony and Pefferlaw. Hello, Tony. Hello there. Ben McCrombie, who's the president of the CFL. Uh, that's all far back and old I am. Uh, I just think, you know, with, with this media... Uh, that we talk about, uh, my dad always said people are stronger in numbers. And so when they all text each other or whatever they do to each other and they all meet, uh, they're in big numbers. And that's what I think what happens. Same thing with uh, when, you, when you get your, 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 your jackings as far as people take. Uh, they already, you know, talk previously to each other. It's so easy to get a hold of each other. Okay, Tony, you're breaking up um, uh, if you call back on a better line, but I think I get the drift of what you're saying. <laughs> Lots of phone problems today. Let's take a call from Jody. Uh, Jody in Toronto disappeared as we were taking her call. So. Mercury is in retrograde. Must oh, be. <laughs> good point. <laughs> Okay, so we're talking now. One of the things I want to bring up about the storm. So we were hit with this storm. It seemed to me like it totally came out of the blue. We've had experts say, and even the Minister of Environment say, hey, we've got to fix the alert system. But also, here's an interesting thing that I'm going to focus on on um, my weekend show, Zoomer Week in Review, is that uh, the experts say, hey, we should 
be prepared for these extreme weather events to happen more and more often. And there are some things that we can do, like, for instance, go on a massive campaign of trimming trees that are close to electrical wires and poles. And I'm thinking, gee, that's a very, it sounds easy, but it's a very expensive proposition. Karen, um, you were most recently on city council. Uh, what would it take to get something like that done? Yeah, that, that is, I, to your point, I mean, that, that's, it, it, tree trimming around electrical and around the hydro wires is something that's already in the budget. And so expediting that again would just require more resources and take, or taking them away from trimming other trees uh, that are in the city. Uh, I think that there is uh, no question that we need to have a better response to these weather events because although we've talked about them and they, they have an entire green section of the city working on sustainability and, and these weather systems and the impacts of these weather events, the reality is the response was not that good, to be candid, to not only the advent of the storm, but also the aftermath of the storm. That people have been without power, power lines were down until Tuesday, streets were blocked off, trees were down, and uh, the, the city's continuing its efforts. But I, I think that there has to be, you know, some preventative measures, of course, but there also has to be a better plan, response plan for how the city deals with these events if we know that they're going to occur with greater frequency. Uh- was there any problem like this, David, when you were running the city? And what are your thoughts on getting ready for this? Well, first of all, there were storms. Uh, and, I, and I think people forget those storms. And somehow it's crowded into a notion that, that we have these periodic severe storms because only because uh, of climate change. And I, w- I would not uh, take on an argument that says it's not climate change, but we've always had storms. We've had storms for as long as the records have been kept, and they've been episodic, and some of them very severe. Um, but I think it's uh, Karen's right. The city normally uh, has a has a, a, a program of trying to at least deal with the most offensive uh, most offensive uh, intrusions in the in, into the in what could be in the path of of severe storms. But uh, we are now living in a world we we are, we are far more worried about, and appropriately so of climate change bringing more severe storms and, and, and even stronger ones. So there probably needs to be more investment made, both in people uh, and in technology uh, and in new ideas and how we are going to spend the rest of our lives trying to figure out how we deal more appropriately with climate change. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, uh, the experts I was talking to talk about, you know, quote, simple things that we can do to prepare and also that we need to take an inventory and even other things like um, a large percentage of the apartment buildings in the city don't necessarily have backup generators. And uh, the, the, he was saying that when you get beyond the sixth floor, if there's no power, the city water pressure won't get there. So you could end up with people who have no power right. and no water. No, that's, that's exactly right. That's why there needs to be a longer view. I'm sure they're trying to take it. It's always easy, of course, to criticize what is not being done. But very often you'll find that the city and its expert and its experts are a little ahead of the game. They're just not yet caught up in terms of program delivery and the ability to afford it. Uh, so um, I, I think I think they're probably on to it. But they need to, they, they need to have the public needs to understand 
that they need to put more investment into it. And there probably needs to be things done around the home or the apartment uh, or, or wherever it is you live that can there's a, 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 a perhaps a better understanding emerging of what you can do individually at home. Uh, Lauren? You know, I agree. I think that there needs to be a better understanding among members of the public that these storms are are very dangerous. I mean, 10 people died during this this last one that's called a, a terrible der, a derecho they're calling it derecho. Derecho. Thank that you. That just okay. means straight. Oh, I've only ever yeah. read it. So. <laughs> um but yeah, this rare summer storm. I remember just I was outside. It was a sunny day. I went inside and looked out my window 10 minutes later, it was black outside, and it just came on so fast, this one. It was the first time I've ever seen the alert can, emergency alert system on my phone come up for a storm. And it right. was just... Right, we weren't expecting... Yeah, It came before. up, you know, it was interesting. My husband was rushing around because he was going to go to a memorial service in Hamilton, and he's rushing around in his good clothes, and I'm trying to get a little lunch together. And, you know, I thought, oh, there's an Amber Alert. And then it's like, whoa, Doug, maybe you better rethink this. Yeah, it was just so fast. Nobody was expecting it on such a gorgeous day. And it was really disheartening to hear that, you know, at least I think two or three people in Toronto were killed by trees, by falling trees. And um, so I think that it's important. And I really like that they use the alert ready system for that. If people are aware, like stay inside. Environment Canada is not joking when they're like, take shelter. Um, I know sometimes people think it's just wind, it's just rain, but um, it's really, really dangerous out there. So until we can kind of retroactively reinforce all of the buildings and and whatever else needs to be done, just be safe out there, guys. It's a scary. It is. It is quite scary. I'd like to turn to the provincial election. And and here's something that I find kind of interesting because we have other political panels and it was explained to me how sometimes when really good polls, uh, say, for the governing PCs are out, uh, it helps. They the, the theory is that there are a lot of people who down to the wire, they want to be on the winning team. They want to vote for the party that will end up in power. But here in Toronto, uh, we are totally contrarian. There is no chance for the PCs. Uh, so is, is this uh, just because Toronto is liberal or is it because uh, Toronto is contrarian. Uh, David? <laughs> perhaps, perhaps a bit of both. Um, it, it, it is contrarian. Part of it's because there's a big difference between living in a very large city of close to 3 million people than there is in a smaller uh, place of, say, 20,000 people. And so there are different attitudes and different concerns. And I think that it, as, the longer you live in a very large city, the issues that bother you are less less significant uh, to, to to those not in, in the large city. So I think there is a difference between, if I could simplify it, between herbal or herbal, herbal and, and, and <laughs> that too. Herbal. How do you how do you like that? A new word um, between but urban life uh, and 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 even suburban life, let alone exurban uh, and beyond and rural life. So there there are those differences. I think they will continue to be. Um, the, uh, I think Mr. Ford and his government have, have um, not seriously, they, they've, they've conducted, I think, their politics in a way that says we are going to win outside of Toronto, and that's where we focus our interests and our concerns. And so, and I think he's shown that his interest in Toronto uh, is at best benign and, and, and is more often uh, anti, anti the future of the city. Hmm. That's my humble opinion. Karen? 
I think it, it's it's a curiosity, and um, you know, again, at, 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 at when there's a uh, retrospective done on the election to find out what happened in Toronto that was different than the rest of the province. Um, you know, certainly, I think that there were some negative reactions to the fact that the restaurants and retail shops were closed over Christmas and uh, during COVID, and that there was a very strong reaction um, for small business around perhaps some of the government's handling of the COVID response. And, uh, you know, I think that there was also, again, um, some concern around the long-term care situation and how seniors were treated. And so there was just a lot of um, grumblings around in Toronto, maybe that really weren't, um, that were muted, but nonetheless real around the response to COVID. And, and, and also the fact that the, um, you know, I, I would, I, I do not, I don't, unlike David Crombie, I, I don't think Doug Ford sees himself as a suburban guy because, you know, he was on Toronto City Council. His brother was the mayor. Like, I, I think that he probably in quiet moments wonders what he did to lose Toronto because I, I don't think he was maybe that was not his strategy it was just to appeal to the suburbs. But it's certainly worth a retrospective because I think that Torontonians, we may not be loud, but we certainly have opinions, and we exercise them at the polls. But I don't think we're contrary by nature. Like, I don't think we're that cranky. I think that we just have strong opinions. And um, and I think it will be interesting to do a reflection on what happened there. Well, that that's interesting that you say what he's wondering what he did to lose the city. I mean, uh, I live in Midtown, and uh, Lauren, I think you're downtown. Downtown, yeah. Downtown. I don't think... Uh, midtown and downtown people ever saw Doug Ford as uh, a city guy, maybe as a suburban guy. He's from Etobicoke. Uh, what do you think, Lauren? I mean, I would just say among my demographic, the millennials, it, it's cool to dislike Doug Ford, kind of, because he's, you know, car, pro car. Um, if I think people associate him more with the suburbs. But in actual fact, you know, there are a lot of things that he has done that have benefited the city. Um I think that Toronto is not so contrarian in its voting. It's just that our lives are so much different than people in other parts of the province. Like if you're living in downtown Toronto, you have, you know, public transit is really important to you. Whereas if you're living in, say, Chatham, Ontario, where I was born, that's not so much a thing. Um, you aren't relying on transit to get around. Everyone has a car. So I think that might be part of the reason why we vote a little bit differently. And and also, like, just when I see among my peers, everyone's like, NDP, NDP, it's the cool thing to vote for. And I think a lot cool? of people... Cool? Is that what it's... <laughs> yeah, I mean, wow. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you that that your peers are voting because yeah. their record on that is not is I, not that great. Well, that's the thing. They say they will vote, but I mean, who knows if they actually do it. And if they actually vote like they say they're going to vote, I think there's a lot of posturing, too, on social media. You see people just like, yeah, this blah, 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 progressives, but they don't actually go out to vote. So we will see what happens. But uh, I know millennials did just overtake boomers as the dominant generation in Toronto. So there's definitely a lot of power that that group wields, whether or not they choose or to Or potential. 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 Yeah, potential. potential. We outvote you by huge yeah. margins. And this time, uh, I don't know about this time. You know, I'm looking at the clock. We're basically out of time. So uh, let's go around the table. And by the way, Lauren is here in the flesh. Yes. So that's great. It's <laughs> great to have uh, people right here. Uh, Karen and David are virtual. So Karen, what are you going to be focused on and thinking about in the next week? Uh, the next week will be interesting on the election as it closes in. I, you know, there's there's a moment in time when every election has kind of been decided, and and I don't think we're there yet. So I, I think the next week could be very interesting in terms of shifting views. And so I'll be curious to see if that happens. 
Lauren. I am just going to be keeping up with the daily news as I always do and reporting it as I see it. Um, we've got a story coming out later today about a shady landlord. So any sort of uh, stories like that, I'm always, I'll just be working and reporting news. And that's a uh, blog TO, which is fantastic, by oh, the way. And you. David Crombie, last word to you. Thank you very much. I, uh, I, I've worked with a group called Friends of the Golden Horseshoe. We are focusing all of next week uh, and wherever we can uh, on 4413, not only because of the importance of the highway as a road, but also what it engenders and what policy, you know, environmental policy and so on, uh, that, uh, that tells you about the board government. If you look at 413 as, a, as an issue, it will tell you everything you need to know about uh, where the Doug Ford government will take us. And it's one we don't support. Okay. And, and you know, David, we have a caller waiting, wanting to talk about that. Pat on the line. Call back tomorrow on Free for All Friday because we're out of time for this one. And thank you so much to the inaugural Tune into the Town panel, David Crombie, Karen Stintz, and Lauren O'Neill. Thanks so much. Thanks, Libby. Thanks, Libby. Thank you. Okay, uh, we are going to take a break. And when we come back, you know, speaking of that incivility, well, a lot of election lawn signs are being defaced. And who is being targeted by this? We'll talk about that when we come back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We were talking about an uptick in violence in the last segment, and here is another ugly phenomenon coming with the election. Multiple instances of campaign lawn signs being defaced and vandalized. Now, it seems to cut across party lines. Candidates for all four major parties have been targeted, but from what I can tell, most of those who have suffered this are members of minorities, and there's no shortage of misogyny involved. So is this just part of the general increase of incivility? What do you think? Uh, the numbers, 416-360-0740, toll-free 866 740 Four seven forty, and now I'm joined by NDP candidate for Scarborough Centre, Nathan Shan, and Green Party candidate Crystal Brooks in Simcoe North. And you have both been targets of this. Thanks for being with us to talk about it. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you, um, Nathan. As many as five hundred of your signs have just gone missing in the last week. Yeah, yeah, we have we had worked uh, months leading up to the red to have uh, you know hundreds of sign locations and in fact thousands were out and and uh, what we are noticing each day is that a particular neighborhood the signs go missing and then we have to go back uh, with our sign crew and replace them and then we find it in some other part of the writing so it's it's been very frustrating and disheartening uh, because we would love to be focused on talking about the issues that matter to Scarborough, um, you know, such as making life affordable, such as making, you know, healthcare uh, fixed. But, you know, unfortunately, you know, this has uh, become a distraction. Uh, I'm also assuming it's an expensive distraction. And why do you think you're being targeted? Is it because of your party? Is it because of your ethnicity? What's what's the deal? 
Well, you know, I, we have reported it to the police, so hopefully the motive uh, can be determined by them. But, you know, obviously there is some discomfort somewhere uh, for someone around the momentum that we've been seeing in the riding. Uh, we have the strongest campaign in Scarborough Center in the recent history um, with, with with our presence. And, and uh, obviously um, that, is, uh, that is bothering someone. But at the same time, I, I do feel like you know, areas that have high racialized communities have had more of this, uh, you know, targeted targeted um, events happening as well um, with uh, with hate um, related information. So it's not it's not particularly uh, you know targeting me, I would say. Uh, but I, I do feel like you know the momentum that we're seeing um, is is probably the reason why this is happening. Uh- Crystal Brooks, what is your experience? I, I saw some nasty things. Yeah, um, with my sign in particular, um, you know, it was it was very racist what was written on my sign, but it was also very misogynistic as well. Um, you know, I was told to go back to my reserve, um, oh. and on the other side, it, uh, it was a stab at. Um, you know, I, I am a survivor of human trafficking, and uh, it was very related to that part of my life and it was it was very hurtful to read but at the same time it wasn't very surprising either these are things that I have heard before um, but it doesn't mean that it hurts any less the more I do hear it um, but to wake up and see it on my front lawn you know where where my kids live and it was very it was very disturbing to see that so close and- I guess. I mean, uh, it, it's, it's very disheartening to hear about this. And, uh, you know, you two are not the only people. And, uh, you know, no. it, you can't help but notice. I couldn't help but notice just on a very, very quick going through uh, on the Internet. So M- Mitzi Hunter uh, has been subjected to a lot of this. She's the former liberal education w- uh, minister. She's a black woman. Uh, we had uh, an Asian candidate in Peterborough, I think, the same thing, defaced signs. I mean, it's just, uh, Nathan, do you feel like this is, I don't, I don't know where you were in the last election, but does this all seem kind of escalated? Definitely. You know, I've been a city councillor and a school board trustee for two school boards and have, uh, you know, faced a number of elections. And, and I think this is definitely escalating because of, uh, partly because of the political environment we are in, the divisive politics uh, of it. And then, you know, obviously, we would like to have all these discussions around what is needed for the community in, in civil forums when we have uh, candidates not showing up to debates and, and, and uh, you know, the the regular places where debates and discussions should take place are becoming less and uh, and and so so it is it is obviously something that is concerning and obviously um hostile towards equity seeking groups that have very um y- you know it is already hard enough to put your name forward and run in these elections and and you have uh, you know already existing systemic uh, issues and barriers uh, and then you're faced with this. It, it is disheartening, regardless of which party the person is from. So I, I do think we need to do better. I do think we also need to um, have uh, more conversations where discussions and debates can happen in a more civilized manner than than be focused on that. But 
but at the same time, you know, uh, many of our communities are resilient. You know, we like we have faced similar concerns and 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 barriers um, in various forms in life. So, you know, we are focused as my campaign is focused on continuing to knock on doors, continuing to talk to people about issues that matters, fixing healthcare and education, and 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 get get right. focused on our on our campaign. Crystal, uh, are you still happy that you took this on? I know that for women in politics generally, they take a lot of abuse. Are you, are you still glad that you're in this? I am. Um, and I'm really thankful for all the women that have come before me and that are a part of this now because I think that they really, um, it, it's uplifting to see so many entering politics now and it really helps me keep going um and it it's really um for us there's there's so many doors that we do still have to break through you know i mentioned that i'm a human trafficking survivor i'm also a survivor of the child welfare system um you know i've been homeless i am an addict and an alcoholic in recovery um and you know i recovered from a suicide attempt so for me there's so many doors that i'm trying to open and i'm trying to open those conversations to talk about those things and to really um, just really tackle those issues because they're so, so relevant and they're, they're all across the board. You know, I, I'm not unique in any way. And, you know, Nathan is really hitting a lot of this. Just uh, oh. He's really touching on so much of this and it's so great. And he's spot on when he says that, you know, we need to have these really hard conversations and they are difficult to have. They're uncomfortable to hear, but, I mean, these are these are our realities. Okay. Well, you know what? Uh, I wish you the best of luck and Nathan as well. And I want to make the point so that everybody who is listening understands this is a serious thing. Uh, there were a couple of people who were caught on video uh, removing a liberal lawn sign. They were fired from their jobs. And if the police catch you defacing a sign, you can be charged uh, with theft. You can be charged with mischief. And so those are criminal charges. So for anybody thinking about doing this, it's 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 not a, a little prank. Uh, and I just wanted to make sure that we put that out there. And thank you so much. And best of luck to Crystal Brooks and Nathan Shan. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, and we're going to take another break. And when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about also some more of the psychological aspects of this election when we return. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. The Ontario election is exactly one week away. And frankly, I feel a bit badly about the aspect I'm about to bring up because we cover the election as extensively here, and we're all in on both the issues and the personalities. And frankly, our purpose is to get people engaged. But I'm sad to say my impression is that most are not. And I find it odd, or I find it a a big dichotomy. So we're coming through some really huge upheavals that resulted from the pandemic or came to light because of it. And we have to get to the next phase. So you would think that being that the situation is so big, the election would be big, but I don't know. Are we just tired or what? 
the numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-740-4740. And now let's go to Aaron Kelly, CEO of Advanced Symbolics, and that is with the AI Poly polling, and John McCutishan, conservative strategist and president of Bradgate Research Group. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everyone. Hi. Hi, Libby. Hi, Libby. Hi. Uh, let's begin with Aaron. So uh, does uh, what I'm thinking about, does that show up in, in the research that you do? Yes, very much. We're definitely seeing this is one of the lowest engagement. So we look at engagement at a representative sample of populations on social media, and we see how many of them are engaging on the, on the topic of the Ontario election. And this is one of the lowest engagement elections that we've seen. And why would you say that? Why do you think? Well, the number one, the thing that we're seeing over and over again is people definitely agree that these are, that we're in for probably some more difficult times. We've just come out of difficult times. Well, we're not even out of the difficult times of the pandemic, but that um, we're probably in for more economic hardship with inflation and affordability issues, et cetera. The problem is that the electorate doesn't feel that the solutions that the leaders have presented to them are either the right solutions or they, they don't feel that, um, that, that a premier can tackle the big macroeconomic issues that are facing us. And so what people are saying is, we're going to be going through difficult times. What we want is basically a leader that can lead through uh, a tumultuous time. And, and the, you know, Doug Ford has been doing that for two years. And so that's why we're seeing uh, higher support for Mr. Ford than for the others. But there's definitely, there was definitely that opportunity because of the, what we've been through to engage the population. But I think the ideas that are there, they're just not uh, grabbing people and people don't have faith. John McCutishan, you're a conservative strategist. So first of all, it, it, it seems to whatever this is, it, is working in Doug Ford's favor. Yeah, I, I think there's sort of three main dynamics. Uh, the first one in any election is, has the government, uh, for one reason or another, riled people up enough that uh, everybody wants to get rid of them? And certainly we saw that with the last election. And uh, you're not seeing it with this one. Now, I would say, to be fair, that uh, the pandemic had something to do with our lives being put on pause for over two and a half years. And uh, the fact that people are living their days right now, knowing they should be more careful than they are, but they're taking the chances anyway, because they've gone stir crazy. Um, But the third one is, how about there's no alternatives? So... Sadly, often for some people, politics the lesser of evils, the choice from among the best bums, and there's nothing to get excited about. So to me, this is very much a walking dead uh, election coming out of the pandemic. <laughs> I like where people, that. Where people are happy to get out of their houses, get out of their basements, get out of their attics. They're wandering around the streets, kind of social distancing, but not really. And there's nobody to get excited about. And and I mean that on both sides. There's on the conservative side, uh, you know, our people tend to rally when they know they're being attacked. But if you're a conservative, you're saying, well, the NDP and the liberals aren't putting up good campaigns, so there's no threat. So that takes out half of your motivation to get excited. The premier's okay. 
uh, solid, but, you know, he's not, like, have, getting people excited either. So very much a walking dead election. Nothing's changed, and we're just walking to, uh, a, a, you know, a re-election uh, a week from today. You know what? Uh, another thing is uh, you mentioned that it was unlike the last election when people really wanted to change. Uh, you know, judging by the ads, they're fighting the last election. They feature Kathleen Wynne more than anyone else. Uh, let's take a call before we get to that from Susan in St. Catharines. Hi, Susan. Hello. Thanks for taking my call. Um, my concern has been that we need a premier in for all of Ontario, not just for Toronto. Everything Mr. Ford has done benefits people in Toronto. We saw that with COVID, and um, we couldn't get any of our vaccinations till all of Toronto was, and yet people from Toronto were coming here, and we weren't protected. You know, the highways I, I've, that I've he got wants a, to build. I, I've got to interrupt you because uh, we were just talking about that in our new municipal panel and uh, the contrary. And none of Toronto votes conservative, votes for the progressive conservatives. It's all liberal NDP. And uh, the feeling among the Toronto people is that he um, is at best benign. We heard it from the mayor. So. You have a very different take on it. Well, us that live outside of Toronto, because what we see with him wanting to put those highways in and billions of dollars going into the highways will benefit the Toronto area, but not us. Yes, he is, you know, um, you know, you mean GTA twin the Skyway in St. Catharines. Well, yeah, we don't need it. He came here and what he said his own personal words, will twin the highway and it'll benefit people coming to Toronto. Uh, for work. Well, you're talking about GTA because actually people inside Toronto uh, generally yeah. would be more likely to oppose that highway. But Susan... Yeah, it's the surrounding areas that, you know, he's getting the votes. And, you know, we see it from outside that he just seems to be going in because his brother was mayor. Well, he's he's more GTA than Toronto. We need long-term care. We need health support. We need education, low-income housing. We do not need highways. Okay, well, uh, there are a lot of people who agree with you, and I think I can guess uh, that you're not voting PC. Thanks for your call. Uh, Yeah, so, well, that is one woman who is definitely engaged. But, uh, and my take is, uh, Aaron Kelly, that that highway might be the only thing that is really a ballot issue, yay or nay, for the people who are engaged with it. Am I uh, right, wrong in the middle? Well, the, the debate over the hi- this is Highway 413, yeah. um, we're seeing a very big divide, as your caller would indicate. So for people who have moved out during the pandemic and they moved, you know, outside of Toronto, they do want to see a road into Toronto because they think they still have to going to commute perhaps, you know, maybe not every day, but, uh, you know, we'll see what, what 
offices in Toronto are going to demand, but they they are seeing because they moved out, they moved out for more space and and all of that during the pandemic. They do want that, but people inside Toronto not so keen. They would rather see investment in public transit. And of course, people who live where I live in Ottawa, like talk about really feeling left out. Yeah, <laughs> um, we see, don't really care about Highway Four Thirteen, and and a lot of people in Ottawa talked about how. During, you know, during convoy and things like that, the premier didn't visit and, and, you know, he made a few words, but his daughter was there in Ottawa. So that definitely. Wow. Oh, I didn't realize that. Well, <laughs> yeah. she's, she's, she part she's, of convoy. <laughs> she's a big anti-vaxxer and uh, I'm sure a thorn in his side, but still. <laughs> yeah. So there's definitely there's, and we can see that, that people are feeling that, you know, in Eastern Ontario, they're definitely feeling that Mr. Ford doesn't pay as much attention to this side of the province as that side. But I'd say inside, you're right, inside Toronto, it is largely a Liberal and NDP group. Um, so, again, are those are those people in Ottawa who are disaffected? Are they going to vote? Well, yes, people in Ottawa tend to vote because it's a it's a public servant town yeah, for the most okay. part. <laughs> so they believe in Duh, voting. Yes. So the people who will vote will also benefit, well, in, in the case of Eastern Ontario, it won't benefit the PCs, but in general, older people vote and conservatives vote. And so conservatives will probably come out whether they're excited about the election or not. It's those liberal and NDP supporters who tend not to come out if they're not engaged they, the Liberal and the NDP really have to get out that vote if they want to affect the election, if they want to take the Conservatives from a majority to a minority. John McCutishan, I've I've seen polling that said that out of the three, the softest support is for the Liberals, that NDP and Conservative voters tend to be more committed. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I think the... Uh Currently, the Liberal, sorry, the Conservatives, the NDP uh, commitment level is what you would normally find for parties at about two thirds. It's the fact that the Liberals are, are, you know, less than half, and that's really uh, surprising and shocking. And uh, I think for any uh, smart political observer, pundits, they're all scratching their heads and looking at Del Duca and saying, "What was the Liberal Party thinking when they elected this guy as their leader?" Um, he just he just hasn't been able to engage or excite anybody. Um, and and even on some of his policies, they're like far-fetched, uh, crazy ideas. Like? And, and the biggest story, though, has got to be Andrea as the leader of the opposition, as the person who had the first opportunity and the best opportunity to defeat this government. Uh, she's failed miserably as well. And it's like, uh, I'm frankly shocked. Aaron Kelly, I mean, one of the stories of the election, which seems might might be slipping now, was that will the Liberals overtake the NDP and become the official opposition? Does Polly have anything to say about that? We still see that um, from a seat count perspective, yes, that the Liberals are slightly ahead. They've come down in the popular support vis-a-vis the NDP in the last few days, um, but the seat count still has them slightly ahead. Um, but it also shows, our data also shows that in 20 ridings, the difference between the leading party and the second place party is less than 2%. So in some ridings, this is really, really close, and it's 17 ridings, and they, the Liberals aren't 17 seats ahead. <laughs> so 
it definitely it's a it's going to be a close race between the NDP and the Liberals in in some writings. Can you share what your latest seat count projection is? Yes. So we've got as of this morning, we have the PCs at sixty six seats, which which gets them into majority. Now, of course, there's always a a range, so we have them between fifty one and eighty on the high end because, like I said, there's a lot of writings that are in contention. So the highest number they'll get is 80, according to Polly. Um, the Liberals are uh, 31 seats is the main projection, up up to 44, depending on how some of those close writings go. And the NDP is at 26 seats, possibly up to 35, depending on how the battles go. Hmm. Uh, does that surprise you, John, or do you disagree with it? No, and and again, uh, for for as much as I might sound glib about a walking dead election, the reality is that it gives the local candidates of all parties, and certainly the parties themselves, a reason to, a reason to pause a week out and say, "Wow, maybe we should have done a lot more work at the local level. Maybe we should have uh, uh, picked better candidates in some cases. Maybe we should have trained better candidates and teams across the board." Because you're going to see a lot of upsets. You're going to see a lot of surprises. And with the ranges that Aaron has just shared with you, uh, you could almost have any outcome on election night. And there's going to be a lot of people that are saying, I, uh, but I was in a safe seat and I was 2% ahead. But if the, whoever's in second place in each of these situations does a better job of getting their vote out, of having identified it and dragging them to the polls, then it's going to be more than one uh, story of the tortoise and the hare on election night. Okay, well, I'm looking at the clock, and we are over time. Thank you so much. Uh, This is really interesting. Free for All Friday is coming up tomorrow, people. In the meantime, thanks so much, Aaron Kelly and John McEtition. And that's all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.